This is the big one. The number one iron on the market is almost invariably in this category, or at least one that touches on this category a little bit. Mm -hmm. When we look at how we score, how we weight, distance, forgiveness, and accuracy, this is the most evenly balanced of any iron test to do. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. No putts given. How you living? Tony, did you know that the Eiffel Tower can be 15 centimeters taller during summer than it is during winter? I did not. <laughs> heat, I gotta tell you. Metal expands. Heat, metal expands. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know that I care, but I guess good you to should. Know. Random factoids. There may be prizes, okay. people. Pay attention. Right. We got a lot to get to in this episode. Hot dang, Rosang. We got to talk about her. We got to talk about getting fit for drivers. We got new equipment that's been out. A couple questions for people. All sorts of things. But, Tony, were you born yet in 1951? No. <laughs> I feel like I was. But no. <laughs> That is the last time, right? That's the last time on the LPGA tour that an amateur making uh, her first professional start won an event in her first uh, professional start, 1951. That was the last time it happened until Sunday, June the 4th. Rosang, who has, I mean, amateur accolades, all over the place, right? Two-time back-to-back NCAA champion, uh, Augusta National amateur winner, number one. I mean, the superlatives, right? They go on and on and on and on. It's a list. It is a list. She wins in her very first professional start at the Mizuho. I guess technically her first start as a professional. As a professional. Her first start as a professional. She has played in professional tournaments, right? Yes, but this is the first time collecting the paycheck. Paycheck. 70-plus years uh, since that has happened. How impressive is that to you as a, you know, just from the golf space? Like, how, how, how impressive is it? Well, I mean, on one hand, I said it's not her first professional tournament, but still to go out, turn pro, Go out and win the first time out of the gate, which, like you said, hasn't happened in a long, long, long time. It's impressive, and I think this this may be a coming out of coming out party of sorts for the LPGA's next great superstar. Mm -hmm. Seems seems like it's inevitable. I mean, we've said that before. There have you know, it seems like every couple of years there's the inevitable next big thing, but right. Uh, I know this seems a bit more inevitable than other inevitabilities in that particular category. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'll be the first to say that women's game does not get the love that it richly deserves. The superstars that are out there, um, personalities, honestly, in, in in a lot of ways, it feels more approachable. I think at times, and it you have these phenomenal golfers out there, and they just don't get the exposure that. They should, and and in fact, yesterday it took some kind of wrangling and last minute adjustments, basically, to kind of <clears throat> revamp the uh, the schedule for the day in order to televise portions of that tournament. If that had not happened, people uh, very well could have missed out on on some of these things. And I just think, I mean, it's uh, I don't know, is that going to change? Are we going to see more women's golf? Because frankly. There are parts of women's golf I like to watch better than men's golf. It, it does seem to be changing. Like, it's better than it was for sure. I don't know. I mean, we've seen even the men's game, right? You get weird interruptions and like, oh, you know, it's time to cut over to Peacock. And now let's, let's right. jump over watch to three different channels in order yeah, to see a whole tournament. Yeah. So I think golf kind of habitually hoses itself in that way anyway or allows its, its sponsors to deal uh in ways that maybe it doesn't with other sports, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's a better situation than on the CW, unless the affiliates would rather show reruns of Dawson Creek or something like one that. Tree so Hill, Tony, you know, I'm a big one tree Hill guy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's getting better. And I mean, as, as far as Rosang is concerned, hype amateurs or, or turning pro on the LPGA, I think this is kind of the most buzz since Michelle Wee. 
I, so it's that was going to be my next question right? was so. yeah and and fitting that uh, Michelle Wee right was there her tournament and uh, they're wearing uh, some fantastic Travis Scott Jordan one lows I'm sure you noticed that Tony I'm sure you did but I I saw Rose's bows <laughs> of course you did well I took a quick peek into her bag too and I thought you know again total disclaimer we're not making any suggestions or generalizations around the ability of golfers on the LPGA tour and equating that at all to anybody else. They're phenomenal world-class golfers. They would beat again, the, the all of best. you, <laughs> all of you, everybody. But when you no take problem. a look inside the bag, there's something that I think most golfers could glean from that. When you look at bag setup, equipment, shaft flex, etc. Now again, Rose Zhang isn't going to hit the ball 180 miles an hour off the tee. But she can cruise in the 150s. She hits the ball hard. She does kind of the same hip thing that Rory does where her trail hip actually moves backward as it it's kind of like a braking mechanism as she gets through impact. She generates a tremendous amount of power uh in her swing and an unbelievable amount of core strength. She plays, she's all Callaway throughout the bag, which makes sense. She's a, a Callaway staffer, but triple diamond LS driver, Fujikura Ventus, red, five. The I don't like the one I don't like, but that's okay. Yeah, but it's five S, five yeah. S. So you're talking 50 gram again in that profile. Stiff is what it is. Not all stiff shafts are the same. Okay. But you go throughout the rest of her fairway woods, three wood, five wood. Again, she sticks with Ventus Red. She goes up 10 grams-ish to a 6 R-Flex. So 5S to 6R. Then as we well, start... That, that makes sense, too, and especially in the 3-Wood where she's playing that 13.5, which, again, kind of unusual, you would think, for the LPGA Tour. But Right. But it's about hitting it fits, gaps, launch windows. Yeah, exactly. Iron shafts. This one, uh, I really was like, oh, my gosh. You got, like... Nippon, who again doesn't get as much love as I feel like they deserve. They get, and, and when they do, it's typically the Modus line, the red label ones that you might see. But she plays uh, 850s. Again, R Flex. So you're talking somewhere, I mean, you're sub 100 grams throughout the bag, more or less. You have about somewhere, you know, between 45 and 50 gram delta from her driver shaft weight through her iron shaft weight and yet we still have people out there getting fit into or thinking oh i need 120 gram 125 gram 130 gram iron shafts uh you probably don't that's what i take from that anything you take from that tony because this is going to lead into my next question just looking at it how uh yeah, obviously the weights and, and the actual shafts are a little bit different, but it's a similar makeup to my bag. It's got the strong three wood, the five wood. She's got a four hybrid where I go seven wood. I recently, you know, I've, I guess I mentioned been struggling this year a little bit. And so to kind of relieve some of that, I took the five iron out of the bag and went back to the five hybrid. Mm. Only only had to swing it twice over the weekend. So I don't know how it's working out, but similar. And then so again, Six through, I'm six through nine technically because I yep. go to the, the Vokey P dub, but yeah, and then 50, 54, 58. I don't, and you're in the pond modus guy, 120s, right? Yeah, for my money, the best steel iron shafts on the market. <sighs> they do but such again, if they fit. If they fit, if you find a fit, if you find a fit again, I'm a big modus 125 guy and 115 guy. I think they're uh excellent, excellent shafts, but most people they're not going to get fit through the bag, Tony. They're going to get fit. For a driver, if they get fit for any club, that's an obvious one people start at. We have some uh, content coming out. We've done wedge fitting 101. We've done iron fitting kind of 101 stuff, kind of taking people through. But most people are going to get fit for a driver. So what are your top three pieces of advice? So I'm going to go get fit for a driver. I don't know anything about it. I got a Father's Day present. My wife said, hey, go get fit for a driver. First time I've done this. Give me some advice. Yeah. So, I mean, the general approach to this is to first not try and dumb it down too much. Let's appreciate the fact that some of this isn't simple. Uh, but within that, you know, the first thing I think is set your expectations accordingly. 
It's it's unlikely you're gonna get fit for a new driver and gain 20 yards. It does happen, but if if you've been fit at all in recent past, unless there's a dramatic change to your swing, like you can get that 20 yard bump one time. But if it's your second or third or right. fourth driver fitting. It's going to be those same type of incremental gains you would expect from from any releases. You know, what's reasonable? Get. Like if I have been fit, let's say it's been a while though. Like, hey, it's you know, God, I can't even remember when, and I kind of got fit. It was a demo day thing. Okay, you're saying twenty yards? Yeah, that probably won't happen. What what, what could I reasonably expect to say? Hey, that's going to be worth a purchase if I can gain. Yeah. So X this amount. is this kind of brings me to the to one of the points I, I banged on quite a bit, and this is. We think of the driver for, for obvious reasons. It's like the distance club. And the objective should, with that, you kind of assume, like, I always want to be chasing more distance. If I can get five more yards, right. ten more yards, three more yards, whatever more yards is good, that's better. Right. And really, I'm like, you know what? That's good. But ultimately, I think scoring begins with the driver. Mm-hmm. And to improve scoring, it's not necessarily about picking up a handful of, of yards or less in many cases. It's really about delivering more consistent results. So you know, I talk about it's not not sexy, it's not fun, but hey, what if you could just kind of shrink those standard deviations a little bit? What if your yeah, dispersion baby. ellipse yeah, just kind of shrink that up? standard deviation? Yeah. So it's again, I always talk about <laughs> right, focus on small numbers and small circles, right? And that's that's really you know the, the example I use. Um, and we use our the the scratch tables for our strokes games. Sure. Not the professional tables, scratch yep. golfers. And if you and I use a lot of like a five, six yards, you know, hey, if you could gain mm-hmm. five or six yards with a driver. Right. But if you hit a shot and that puts you off the tee, you hit your driver and it leaves you a hundred and fifty yards into the green. Okay. Your expected your strokes gain value, the expected number of strokes to complete the hole. Mm-hmm. If you put that ball in the rough, the equivalent number is at ninety nine yards. So you've got to be fifty one yards closer in this scenario. And again, it varies by distance, right. the hole, and things People like that. People want to pick right? it apart, but let's just say, yeah. Okay. So in this scenario, and I think one fifty is it's not you don't have that on every hole, but that's that's a pretty common number people use. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be 51 yards closer if you're going to bang it into the rough to, to have the same expected result. Yeah. And <laughs> you're typically not going to find 50 yards between drivers. Let's uh, hope not. And, Let's and hope not. You know, we have to acknowledge here, right? If, if this is a driver, you're, with your best driver, you're not going to hit every fairway. And with your worst driver, you're Nobody not going to miss every fairway. Right. But it is about kind of tweaking those fairway hit percentages, the number of shots you get to hit out of the short grass in your favor. And yeah, closer closer is better, but, sure. but not if that closer is in the rough significantly more often. And I think right. that's the piece. So, you know, I kind of harped on this quite a bit again just you know focus on accuracy a bit more than you think with the driver and mm-hmm. and definitely shake that mindset we've we've had conversations with people in the industry have actually talked to golfers after watching them you know they kind of quietly sit on a range at a big box store or like a yeah. off course pro shop and watch guys just slice and hook drivers off the planet and then go buy it and you're like why did you buy that one? You God, I just love it. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll straighten that out later. Like, no, right. no, no, you, you won't. Don't, don't straighten it out. If it right. if you can't hit it straight in the hitting bay, the odds are you're not going to be able to hit it straight on the course. So, yep. I'll um, make it real simple, Tony. I remember you and I talked about this a long time ago one time, and, and I was asking you for some help on driver fitting for me. You said, hey, take the three drivers you hit the longest, and then of those three, which is most accurate? It's not yeah, a bad way, not a bad way to go about it. But Tony, who is designing these clubs? Mailbag questions. We got mailbag questions flying in from all over the place. All this AI, chat GPT, uh, I don't know, what's the one that makes images? Um, I was talking with my mother-in-law. She was Uh-oh. beside herself, <laughs> for, yeah, former English teacher, beside herself with the idea that somebody could you know, compare and contrast different transcendentalist uh, authors and just by asking a computer a prompt or whatever. But, Tony, are humans even designing these golf clubs anymore? Who is actually designing my driver? I think it's a combination in most cases of humans and machines. It's it's interesting. So the actual question this came from was like, like what companies are using AI? Right. And AI has are. become... They all are. This, it's this catch-all, right? Anything you can... 
AI is is almost like if you're using it for marketing purposes, right? It's it's almost whatever it is you want it to be. Um, yeah. Certainly, Callaway kind of ran out to the front, put the stake in the ground as the leaders in AI. I think they they would tell you they still are. Obviously, we don't we can't say for sure, uh, but right. they they were the ones that that kind of got in early and and made it a thing. But we know. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about, hey, who's who's using computing horsepower? And I, I think of it as sort of predictive. That's basically AI is is right. sort of just a pre- series of predictive algorithms. And mm-hmm. so, like, hey, Callaway, going back to the original implementation of their AI, used the computer to kind of spit out these face topologies they thought would. In, boost ball speed based on the parameters given to it by the human. And what's right. interesting, like you hear, you talk deeper and you hear like, you, we got some things back that were really cool, but they couldn't actually be manufactured. If you look at uh, the <laughs> latest round of the, the Titleist TSR drivers, right? Those, mm-hmm. the different models have distinct faces or within the lineup, they have two different face approaches, technologies, right. whatever you want to call them. Right. Yeah, they didn't, that didn't come from a whiteboard. I mean, right. that was certainly some <laughs> computing horsepower that went into it. Right. When we talk about, kind of combining things so or or how it used to be we're like hey well we think if we move the center of gravity here we would get this result so let's go have a prototype made throw it on the robot and see what happens now a lot of that run those stuff scenarios happens. before yeah, you, so ever you even get, get it the impact of all right how's it going to impact launch conditions how's it going to impact speed and and the the structural integrity of the head is it it bends and flexes how is it going to impact sound like uh-huh. these are all things that have been that were questions that you sort of had to previously figure out by having prototypes made now you can kind of run it through all of your whatever ai tools you have available and go that that might work and these 10 definitely aren't so you know yeah. i think to answer the question that was put forth i think the overwhelming majority of certainly all of the big guys are using some sort of AI in their designs, yeah. Again, different companies, uh, different approaches, and we good time to mention, right? Um, mm-hmm. Be interesting to see what happens at Titleist now, as uh, Alan Hocknell, who was Hock. Callaway's VP of R and D, one of the guys heavily involved in the uh, the AI efforts, has uh, after taking his time off and then non compete, has now joined Team Titleist, and I'm telling be interesting you, interesting to see what happens there. I mean, if this were a sport and we were talking free agent acquisitions in the offseason, uh, hard-pressed to make an argument that title is snagging Austin Rollinson on the putter side uh, and now Doc Hawk on clubs, equipment, well, and a lot of things. Uh, I think general, I'm, I'm all, general golf yeah, equipment I mean, and things like, uh, uh, you know, done a lot. Like I said, uh, I mentioned this before, but in terms of being – exceptionally well-rounded in your expertise like i've talked to doc about drivers and fairly woods and irons and I know. golf ball it's just like yeah yeah no, I, he knows yeah. How, how all of it works and so i think that's uh yeah it's that's a, a huge, huge win for for we'll see what happens on the a front ai front as a result if we may and knows. we may have a little insight on that coming up in another segment here shortly but tech talk stuff tony lots of tech going on in the world around in the last couple of weeks we had a test <laughs> that came out game improvement irons different than our players irons test so game improvement irons hit me with the top five real quick for people that maybe haven't seen that yet top five give it to me for the second year in a row so little background we our current methodology for testing we test new stuff so Anything released since the previous test, plus we retest the winner. Mm-hmm. And we have a back-to-back two in a row for the TaylorMade Stealth. So that's our our number one finishing ever so slightly ahead of the Cobra Aerojet one length, right. which fi- finished ever so <laughs> slightly ahead of the Cobra Aerojet variable length. So very yep. strong showing with Cobra. It's also nice when we see similar results from two very similar irons, especially, you know, looking at our seven iron data where the clubs are identical. Mm-hmm. So that's you uh, hope the that, data would, would yield and that, but yep. We get Shrixon again, ZX4 MK2, followed by another top five for Mizuno. 
MP, I, uh, JPX, excuse me, 923 Hots Metal. This is go. the year of the twos in, in uh, game improvement irons. So back-to-back winners with Stealth. Call it the Nikola Jokic. Back-to-back MVPs. Two previous years. Not this year. He should have won it, but different story. Back-to-back years, two. Aerojet takes two of the three top spots, two and three. And then second test in a row where both Strixon and Mizuno have been in the top five. And I think in that one we said, you know, it's 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 one of those things where those companies tend to more often than not find a way on the podium or you're not surprised when they do. And so that's two tests in a row where, where we've seen, uh, seen that, but arguably yeah, worth a, worth a mention too. So we, in addition to gathering data from our pool of 20 testers, we also have them weigh in on the subjective stuff and say, right. Hey, what do you think? Look, sound, feel, what do you blah, think blah, blah. looks the best, sounds the best, feels the best. And Arguably most important than that is which of these irons in this test are you most likely to purchase? Josh is pretty, <laughs> <kinda> uh, like, <laughs> right. pretty telling. And again, right. There's no, you know, it's, we have golfers that are interested in the data, but you know, they're like everybody at the else. end of they're the like day. That's golf. what the companies want, right. Is to know, Hey, yeah. who's actually going to buy it. Right. I mean, yeah. And so when we look at that subjective stuff, sound, feel, looks, likelihood of purchase, clean sweep for the Shrixon. So mm-hmm. Um, that, that certainly tells you, you know, strong performance. And then that next step is, you know, how do, how do the testers feel about them? How much do yep. they like them? Uh, very clean, sweet, like, and, you know, Taylor made stealth. We, we tested it when it came out, you and I hit it like mm-hmm. for, for a game improvement iron launch is really high. Certainly one that can offset for a lot of golfers, not everybody, but can kind of offset the lower spin, but you know, I don't think either one of us would would tell you that the feel matches a forged iron or is even in that no. class. It's it's you know it's it's noticeably game improvement, but mm-hmm. performance wise, exceptionally strong. So yep, clearly, yeah, there you have it. Clearly, which kind of leads us to another exciting thing. And you know, they popped up this week at Memorial or last week, I should say, it at uh, Jack's place. Mr. Nicholas, his tournament is a typical seeding opportunity on the tour for Titleist when they'll run out some of their new irons. And they told us just enough to whet the appetite, get us excited. Us nothing. Just we're headed out. We're headed out in tour in seeding so. and validation. Yeah, there you, you go. I, I better validate it because it's too late now. <laughs> this is what <laughs> but, you're going with. All right. But very quickly. What I know was a picture in this and that, but what did you see that either intrigued you or maybe left you with some kind of questions like, who, what are, what are they going to kind of do here? Hit me with the highlights because we're going to see them in a week and get all these things answered. Yeah, so there'll be no no putts given next week because we will be out at Titleist instead of filming. So Maybe we'll do it at a restaurant or something. Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sit down with... He who cannot be named and just let him go nuts. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So for me, the the there's there's one thing that stood out very obviously, and that is that we now have these iterative names in a couple of cases. So instead of a T one hundred S, we have a T one fifty. And we're assuming a, that's the spot in the lineup that it's. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, it's well, clear. that's the one. That's that's the one that went away. Uh, and you know, you know, the T100 is not going to be significantly Dude. involved. Like, you know, they're going to throw the best of what they have at it. But that is, I mentioned this in the write-up, other other than the Pro V1, the single most don't screw it up product in the Titleist lineup. So even more that's than Vokey, even more than SM9. I think, yeah, I think, okay. I think so. Okay. Um, so too, T100 kind of looks. It's a little harder yeah. to screw up a wedge, I think. I um, so. But yeah, so. These these kind of one these fifties like these mm-hmm. those because they're they're new and different that that to me is intriguing and then so you had a one fifty in there what was it so you had T one hundred T one fifty which we're guessing is the one the T one hundred S replacement sure. yeah, then you confident. have T two hundred we'll talk about but what's the other fifty two fifty three fifty three fifty so one one fifty two three fifty yeah and. <laughs> It, it's. I have no idea what's going on here. I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping that the I'll level the with you. one. Like, no honestly, I'm hoping like the the one fifty designates that hey, it's it's not just a a T one hundred bent strong this time. Yeah. Um, so maybe a little bit. 
different technology in that. And then the T two hundred remains the curiosity for me because that's a you know for everything that question is, mark is really strong in the Titleist players lineup and the the things they've done to improve the game improvement offerings with three hundred and four hundred series. Mm-hmm. The two hundred to me has just been two two whiffs in a row where it's just like where does it fit? What is it supposed to be? Kind of lacking a clear identity. I think bigger, you know, kind of had maybe the look that wasn't for the typical title titleist player with the original set, the most recent one. It just seemed uh-huh. to me big for what I, what I think it should be, I guess, maybe not even what titleist was trying to do, but big for what I think it should be, which is, you know, that should be the one, especially if you're going to, at the time and who knows what 150 is doesn't look hollow body uh-huh. but if you're if your 100 s is just a strong lofted 100 so still very much a, a player's cavity back design right and the 200 what i've always wanted the 200 to be is like a a head-to-head competitor with like a p770 kind of that that hollow body uh-huh. player's distance iron that cheats really hard to the player's side yeah and it just it seemed kind of, and then on the other end, like using that tailor-made example, you have P790, which is Correct. sort of that mass market prototype, just the Goldilocks iron, right? This just kind of feels right for everybody kind of thing. And when you look at who plays that, it. like that, yeah, that handy, the handicap of the, the mm-hmm. guys who play that is anywhere from plus to like 18. And, you know, that's that's kind of like your average range. It just has massive you can sell appeal. sell it to anybody. You can fit a lot of people yeah. in here. It, it has massive market appeal. And so like the T200 to me always kind of felt stuck between those two. I think there's and, a big opportunity too. Because yeah. if you look at, again, we talk a lot of Mizuno. We talk a lot of Strixon. They've habitually been on, on our leaderboards for most wanted testing. And if you look in the last, uh, particularly this year with Strixon, Mizuno's been doing this for a little bit. But one thing that I think has made them more attractive to a lot of different players is they're creating their iron lineup with the intention of blended sets. And not just the idea of, hey, you can do this. Like, oh, yeah, of course you can order da-da-da. But like as puzzle pieces where it's like, Hey, if you want to combo this iron and this iron and this one, we're going to make sure that things match up. Meaning specifically, how does the top line look? How does the amount of offset look? Soul width aesthetics. So that it's not like, Hey, you're playing two different irons that you're blending together. They really are designed to cut at the five or six or seven iron, wherever you want it to and swap into that next one. That's where I feel like the T 200 hasn't, had a confirmed identity yet like is it a standalone thing is it the one that people that have the 100 but want a little more forgiveness in four five six iron maybe would you blend with that one maybe not like like, that's that's where i think i'm hoping that's where the 200 fits in because for me it it doesn't work in with with 100s or even 100s like the loft kind of favors the 100s but it's when you talk about again things like soul width and that top line and even the blade like it's a pretty radical jump and mm-hmm. i would almost argue that the the better blend would almost be 300s at the bottom of the bag and then when you get into like 789 maybe you go a little smaller into a T200 so kind of the opposite of of what i think the typical the, the golfer most likely to purchase a blended set probably wants you know i mm-hmm. think again the the logical combo is a 200-200 kind of blend, and it, it just didn't work for me like yeah. just visually. Just so we're going to learn more. You may have questions. We might talk about this a little bit uh, a little bit later as well. Are you feeling fast today, Tony? Speed golf? Are you feeling fast? Uh, no, I, I, I did the tonal workout this morning. I'm, oh, I you have a tonal? Chair. I do. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I was going to yeah. say, I thought, I thought I noticed your shoulders looking... A little broader, maybe. We're 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 trying to slim down a bit. We're working on it. It's a process. Right. So we get this getting question. in reps. <laughs> we got drivers. We got irons. We got all these things that cost a lot of money in in the world. And and we've talked about this before, where there's marginal improvement. If you're dialed in last year, you don't really need to change anything this year. If you're dialed in, I mean, come on, Victor Hovland just won again this week. He's playing last generation, right? Ping G four twenty five driver. He's playing I two uh, ten. Irons again, previous generation. Not saying those are bad clubs; they're phenomenal clubs. But if you're dialed in, you're dialed in. 
but what are things that you can do that cost nothing or very, very little money comparatively to maybe get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of this could really you know help me on the course. I got five things for you, Tony, and you're just going to give me a score, one to ten, in okay. terms of the amount you have to, to invest. You don't have to okay. think. You just got to answer. The amount invest versus a uh, potential reward. So item number one, new grips on all your clubs. How old are my old grips? That's so if they're a year, you haven't regripped in at least a year. Six, six. I like to think you can get two years out of grips. Okay. I, I don't think you can. I, I think it's 35 rounds. I think you should regrip every year. I give it like a seven or an eight. Cause I think it's, it feels like putting on a brand new pair of socks. Are you on a right. take from big rubber? <laughs> oh, big rubber guy here. All right. Uh, <laughs> ball, ball fitting, not playing scuffed uh, golf balls. So more than a ball fitting, throwing out, Golf balls. Quit <laughs> yes. using a golf ball when it gets yeah. when it gets dinged up. Yeah. That's a that's a solid nine. I mean, take the guesswork out of it. We know, like, hey, a little paint defect, no big deal. As soon as you kind of disrupt that cover, bye. Just yeah, yeah. get rid bye. of it. Get rid of it. It like you always say, Tony. You know, if you don't pull that ball out of play, it's going to pull itself out of play probably in the next swing or two, right? Like that's going to happen. <laughs> it will find its way eventually. <laughs> it will find its way eventually. We're going to talk more in future episodes. Uh, some of these companies that are out there doing great stuff, Decade, Golf Shot, Swing You, some of these other ones with really helping golfers make better decisions on the course in terms of course strategy. So picking targets, let's just call it game management, course strategy. D You've never used one before. Don't do dumb stuff. But... If you've never used core strategy, scale of one to ten, starting to use something. Yeah, I think I think ten. I think massive differences to be made by by just playing the game smarter, choosing better targets off the tee, into greens, even even on layup shots in some cases, and you know, again, just not knowing when to. T- accepting that you need to take your medicine and and not mm-hmm. doing you know don't do the dumb shits throw out a loose stagger reference there as yeah, well yeah i mean it's loop. clear yeah. i think there's strokes for average golfer golfers like me probably golfers like you even closer yes. to scratch like there is there are quantifiable strokes to be saved almost every round simply by by making good choices in the, oh. in the language that we spoon feed my daughter very quickly so. i shot 73 on friday which is how many holes was that it was all 18 i shot 73 time. too but it, then I had it was left. all 18 yeah. okay. i double bogeyed on the back nine i double bogeyed to par five and i bogeyed to par five i threw away three strokes not using good principles could have been much better round. All right. Take a lesson from a pro that's recommended. Someone say, hey, so I asked you, Tony, hey, who should I get a lesson from? You're like, hey, I worked with this guy. So it's not just like going down the yellow pages or the internets and saying, I want to take a lesson. But let's say it's from a person that you know or has come highly recommended. You're going to go pay 150 bucks for that lesson. Scale one to 10. What would you expect? How important uh, is this? In my case, about 10 strokes <laughs> from uh, the start of the year to my first round after taking a lesson going in to see Anders for an interview. But potential benefit, 1 to 10, how do you yeah. rank it? I mean, I think in terms of year-over-year handicap, five strokes. So, you know, that, that's a lot. That's got to be 8, 9, 10. That's, that's on the – It's 8-plus for me, too. It's, it's more than you're probably going to get. And, again, you know, maybe you're horribly fit and you're getting fit for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. But right. chances are that's better than you're going to get from buying a new driver and new irons. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe make a case maybe new wedges would have significant benefit if you, you got love playing the wedge t-shirt. card. I You're do, all about the you wedge see guys, I guys, guys with like 10-year-old wedges, like, should I get new ones? I'm like, no. Yeah. No, just nine keep giving me your ago. money. Yeah, whatever. All right, last one. Wearing the correct pair of shoes. It's intriguing. I don't know. I'm going to pass on this because we've, you know, we've, people say you can gain speed and that lower stability creates straighter shots. Lots of things said. I, I think certainly wearing shoes that fit uh, will probably help. Right. In terms of actual value on the scorecard, I'm going to pass because I, 
We're going to look at this. I think we're going to test this one. This one was a teaser one because we're yeah. going to dive into this one I don't a know. little bit. I don't know. It's fascinating. Deeper. He is Golf Spy T. I'm Golf Spy C. You can find us on the interwebs all over the place. Tony, how many centimeters was it that the Eiffel Tower can expand or get taller during the summer? Do you remember? 15. Ah, 15. You're right. That wraps up the show. If you want to stick around for the after show, we'll be right back here in just a moment. Until then, we're out. We didn't go anywhere, but yet we're still back. Think about that for a minute. We're going to dive deeper. Game improvement iron results, maybe some of this Titleist stuff. Um, again, we kind of alluded to this a little bit, Tony, that not every test is the same. We changed the criteria, weighted categories. We know we talked players' irons, people that tend to, again, we're talking lower handicap, maybe a little higher skill, better ball strikers. Accuracy tends to be more important than things like distance, whether you call it consistency or forgiveness. Again, that's always going to be part of the equation, but when we tweak it, you tweak the formula a little bit. How does that change when we look at game improvement irons in terms of what is this buyer probably looking for? What is this consumer wanting? And whether they know it or not, what what are we trying to give them to give them the best, you know, possible information, whether they realize that's what they maybe need or not? I think the game improvement category, on top of being the, the category in which the the highest percentage of irons are purchased. So this is this is a category golfers buy. This is the big one. The number one iron on the market is almost invariably in this category, or at least one that touches on this category a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we think too. It's it's interesting. We feel like this continues to evolve. And so, it is short answer. When we look at how we score, how we weight distance, forgiveness, and accuracy, this is the most evenly balanced of any iron test we do. We, we believe mm-hmm. that the the game improvement player wants as much of everything as he can get. He wants his irons to be long. He wants them to be forgiving. And, of course, he wants to score well with them. So relatively even approach to game improvement as opposed to players irons, where, as I mentioned, we say, well, like, this is, this is for a guy who wants to score. He's going to be less concerned about distance going to be less concerned about forgiveness he just you know maybe wants something he can work a little bit but but certainly it is you know the bottom line here is the score and maybe doesn't need a whole lot of help from the club in other areas where the game improvement player probably does we think that's what he's looking for he expects okay. distance expects forgiveness yeah and so with that when we look at even like kind of historically you know, clubs that have done well in this category, they tend to be pretty balanced, right, throughout the results where it was the same kind of thing, you know, when we looked at players' irons, hey, you had to do really well. You couldn't be a really good solid players' iron if you didn't test well in accuracy because that was such an important element, right? With, you know, with these irons, with game improvement irons, like you said, it's kind of a balanced approach. You can't be really poor in any one of those areas, right? You, but you don't necessarily have to be the best in any certain area. So we're looking for kind of that good, solid, balanced performance. And I think, yeah, th- absolutely. And I think this this category is, in many respects, the most challenging to test uh-huh. uh, for a couple of reasons. First, it's where you see the, the widest range of specifications. Um, and again, so when we talk about being evenly weighted, also know that the category is evolving and within it you have certain designs where where the manufacturer says you know what we're gonna we're gonna skew our design targets towards forgiveness we're gonna weight our design towards forgiveness and others you know ping's a good example of that right where right. they've gotten longer but have not abandoned the forgiveness aspect of it mm-hmm. you have other designs and it's not to say either one of these examples has abandoned forgiveness by any stretch i think they probably right. right in terms of moi check out pretty well but you see something like the the pxg uh irons which i don't think so we had the o211s in this test and we'll talk about it more when we get the gen 6 stuff in some future tests but the wilson dynapower 
Uh-huh. Good example of one that was just ridiculously long. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's, that's a case where we're like, yeah, we think that Wilson here was, was really going after distance. And if that's what you want from the category, then right. you know, it's a good option. We didn't find it particularly forgiving or, you know, we wouldn't say that it was necessarily the best for scoring, but uh, again, different strokes, different folks. So, well, it kind of, it kind of brings up that <laughs> I think you and I were talking once about like how, uh, you know, sitting in a room at one particular company looking at a performance report for let's say three, four, five different irons and sitting in a different room with a different company, looking at the same exact irons and seeing, believe it or not, different results, <laughs> you know, so yeah, with, as much yeah, as, same clubs, different result. Right. So, so as much as right, you try to systematize some of these things as well. Some of it does come down to answering the question of, what is this club designed to do? Because we can't test for every possible scenario or player type. Or like you said, maybe this year, this company said, hey, because of our iron lineup, we're going to push game improvement closer to a player's distance concept. So we're going to tweak our formula a little bit. Well, if we don't tweak our testing criteria the same way, that iron may test differently based on how we weight the categories. That's not saying one's right or one's wrong, just that it's why you can run different tests and get different results. And I think too, you're going to see it's slowly happening where there's the game improvement category is to my mind splintering. And so we've talked about, you know, as you mentioned, right, some of these distance charge irons versus like once upon a time, it's, it's where, forgiveness was the talking point and then started right. to see distance creep into designs. And now you're seeing like distance just stomp in some cases. So, you know, we've talked about this, probably mentioned this on the show before, but I, I think we're probably just a two or three years away from, from a segmentation where our game improvement test becomes two separate tests where, you know, I jokingly say, Hey, you've got what I call traditional game improvement designs more forgiveness focused but not mm-hmm. big big heads and, and huge offsets and wide soles like you have in super game improvement but right. kind of that traditional balance sensible forgiving iron design <laughs> right. right and then what i call the hacker's distance category <laughs> where you you still have you keep the you know bigger footprints you know bigger than a player's distance iron but like right. distance charged by design distance first everything else second and in some cases everything mm-hmm. else third because all we really care about here is distance right um, so i think i think we'll get to that point but we're still you know i think that's a really out. good point though is the evolution mm-hmm. of these categories i mean <coughs> how many years ago had we been you know let's say testing for 15 20 years etc players distance did not exist as a category in and of itself and certainly not the category it is now. I was looking at uh, consumer reports, um, looking at automobiles. My wife's looking at some new automobiles, and it's been a while since I've looked at a new automobile. But now there's like 312 categories of SUVs. It used to be, hey, you got cars, you got you know, you got your sedans, you got a truck, you got a van, and SUV was a category. Now we got large SUVs, midsize SUVs. Yeah, it used to be car and then not car, like other. And now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now you got full size truck, mid size truck, small truck. Yeah. And so we're it, it kind of, like you said, particularly because this is the meat of the market, most golfers are by definition average. And so you have, you know, of 25, 27 million golfers that are out there that are not professionals and whatever, the vast majority of them fit into likely this category. So if you're in that category, yeah, do you want one that's more player-ish, that puts an emphasis on accuracy? Do you, you go back that's to distance at all costs? Do you want, you know, like, how would you turn those, you know, pull those never, you know, levers and knobs and dials and things? You go back like several years, I remember – not long after I got in this, but Callaway, use Callaway as an example, because sure. uh, there's a progression story here. They had like seven, eight different iron models in the lot. It was like the Diablo days, right? And it's like Diablo. Octane. Tour. Yeah. And so and you're like, I don't even know like what the difference is here. Right. And 
at some point, even Cowboys like, you know what, this is ridiculous. We need to, we need to pare this down get sensible and, and have fewer iron models. Mm-hmm. And they did. And for several years, few years anyway, they ran lean. And now you're starting to see everybody, not Callaway, not, not just Callaway. Everybody oh. is back to six, seven. You know, we'd have to go through and see, but we're talking about, you know, Titleist showed us four. We right. know there's, we know there's going to be MBCB in the lineup and we know a 400 is coming. So, so that, I mean, seven, seven eight, seven right there. Not unusual. And at Look some at point Mizuno. you have to start going, well, where do these fit? And, and where they right. fit is kind of, you know, within smaller swaths, largely of, some of them are clearly defined, but you have within most lineups, some overlap, two or three that, that fit in a number of categories. And I think at some point you're going to see again, clearer definition of these categories. And I think game improvement mm-hmm. is right. Well, Mizuno's right. Three MPs, four JPXs. We saw this with the MP. I want to say this was like with the 18s when they had the SC and the MMC. And they're like, these basically do the same thing. Like they're, if you had a Venn diagram, it would have almost been a <laughs> just like a sliver. right? Like, <laughs> it was like a sliver. Yeah. So it was like, okay, yes, we need more separation. But to your point, Having six or seven, you know, what is, I guess, that ultimate balance? It's going to be more than three, probably. It's going to be maybe less than seven or eight. But how many discrete models do you need in order to really fit golfers? I guess, I don't know. That's well, and again, piece. this is this kind of ties back into sort of the AI conversation, whereas you learn how to, to, you know, tweak something and get an entirely different result at a, at a more personal level for the player. If you yeah. say, Hey, you know, uh, this category is for the guy that does this and right. this one for this guy. And now we're kind of like, Oh, but he can also do this. And then within that, there's a guy who also kind of does this and this, and you start to get, as mm-hmm. you, as you kind of just crank out these designs, they, they get to be more personalized, right? They, they better, better fit a smaller percentage of golfers. Mm-hmm. And so that's, instead of trying to fill the middle of the curve with a big circle, you're trying to right. fill that same area with lots of smaller circles. And I think it's a better approach. It, it gets confusing uh, for golfers. And as I mentioned, it gets to be a little tricky to test. Um, but it's, I think ultimately benefits golfers when there's, there's more product, if you can find a way yeah. to sort out the confusion. Yeah. And like we said, next week, we're headed out to titles to see these new irons. And we mentioned the different models, etc. Um, what is your biggest question mark for these? And what is your, I guess, biggest hope in terms of, you know, what would really, I guess, kind of, you know, blow your Bridgestone hat off uh, if this were, you know, if this were to, to happen, but question mark and kind of a uh, uh, biggest, maybe opportunity yeah, so, or hope. So question that. mark, why, why all of a sudden do we have fifties? And and why aren't they all fifties? So it's like we're and uh, it's like so it because the, the thing about the fifty is it it suggests iteration, right? Like evolution of product, but it sort of at, at it face suggests value, in like, betweenness. Yeah, but at face value, it's like yeah, but we only decided to evolve two of the four, and we're looking at them, we know they're different. So right, you know, sort of like what is why why did two of the irons get fifties? And why did the why didn't the other two? So that's mm-hmm. a question. Mm-hmm. And then again, cycling back, I'll just keep banging this drum. What are we doing with the two T two hundred? What are we doing What's here? What's the deal? <clears throat> have we what made is... it? What and again, right? Sample size of one, arrogant, whatever you want to call me. But have you made it what I think it should be? <laughs> have you finally? I mean, yeah. again, we're in the hat proto C. The we said the you know. The O three TCs, they finally listened and made a Tony Covey. Yeah. Uh, have you have you finally gotten this right according to me? Yeah, exactly. Which you know, which is fair. I think my biggest uh, question mark for them is what is the overarching philosophy now of the lineup? Is it a blended set idea where you really want <coughs> people to mix and match? that can be a nightmare for ordering and some skew stuff and this and that or whatever. Are you really making a play for the blended set concept? Um, Titleist, right, has historically been, or I guess a, a sweet spot for Titleist has historically been better players, right? CBs, MBs, like I said, the T100s, the evolution of the AP2s. Um, 
this may not be a correct statistic, but I'm going to say it anyway. T100, I think, was the most played iron across professional tours I last year that as to be an accurate. iron model. And so, you know, Again, are there don't things screw that, that up. Don't screw up. My, I mean, like you said, it's these iterative things. What could they do to, one, not screw it up, but two, still somehow make it clearly better? And so... That is, that's my big question mark is, if that is the case, how did they do that? How did they, A, not screw it up with with what's been a really, really, you know, solid iron? And two, how did they still yet do something different um, to improve it? Because that, I think, again, is a, a huge opportunity for them to continue to evolve in that space it's right with their brand identity it's right in the sweet spot for them and who they are and if they can do something significant with that let's say <clears throat> here's a crazy thing t100 and it feels like a strixon it feels like an endo forging it feels like some of these ones that have run on a feel first campaign could they make the T100 feel like an absolute top-tier premium forging? Ooh. I think Titleist would tell you it already does. I know they would tell me, but I would disagree. It feels I, – I don't think it feels as good, my opinion. It's not. It's a different kind of feel. It's not – doesn't yeah. kind of – you know, what I, I think it has to do with the, the thickness. Switches. But I think it has to do with the thickness of the top line. And I think – I mean – we can go into that later too, but asking a question, like I think they're going to do hopefully a little bit more modal analysis this time around, really looking at pitch and vibrations and frequency and trying to understand what generates, what resonates. And I, that's uh, that's something I'm going to be paying attention to. I just want to know what the 50s for. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. They can answer your question. 50% in four minutes. more modal analysis. <laughs> they're going to answer your question in four minutes and they're going to tell me never to come back. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see what, see what happens, but yep. No, no puts given next week. Unless Tony and I do something crazy on an airplane or in an airport. Well, it'd be or, weird. Cause we'd be on different planes and that would be really disruptive and rude. That's but, what I'm saying. That's, that, yeah. that could be weird, but questions, thoughts, comments, ideas, please, please post them. We love, Get in your comments, even the really dumb ones. Sometimes those are even more fun for us to read through. <coughs> we forgot to we we forgot to talk about metric football just for Merle. Oh yeah, yeah we'll do that next time. Metric football, I'm, lame. I'm, I'm heartbroken. So just it's okay. Well. I yeah. I don't even know why. Don't even don't even know what you're talking about. Benzema but. to Saudi Arabia, basically oh. playing live football. Anyway, I can't believe that. That sounds tragic. Yeah. You'll fill me in later. All right. Until next time, people. We're out.